How's everybody doing today? Memorial Day weekend. Wonderful to have you in the house of the Lord today. I'm so excited to be sharing the word with you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Logan. I serve here over the youth ministry. I'm very passionate about the next generation, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do through our kiddos. He's doing amazing things. He's doing amazing things. We have students prophesying. We have students laying hands and people being healed. We have students operating in the gifts. I pray every single week that those things would happen in kids' ministry. Me and Rosie, we're believing and contending for it. We're seeing people getting saved in kids' ministry. We're seeing people getting saved in youth ministry. And I just want to encourage you that God is doing something with this next generation. He's raising up a faithful army. I want to shout out my wife. I love my wife dearly. I have a little baby girl. Her name's Selah. I have another little baby girl on the way, and she still does not have a name, so pray for us. We have lots of really great ideas with different biblical thoughts behind them, and we need to make a decision because we have about three months left. Amen? The no-named baby. Two months? Three months. <laughs> Lord, I need your provision. Pray for my sleep. I want to ask you guys some questions this morning. And, and, and I, I usually preach to youth, so I expect people to preach back, right? I don't know if you know this, but in youth ministry, if you ask them questions, they have to respond, and they, then they don't look at their phones. Yeah, it actually works really, really well. Half the time, I'll get off the stage and roll up to them with the microphone just to keep them on their toes, right? So I want to ask you guys some questions this morning. First thing I'd like to ask you is, have you ever been cut off when driving? How did that make you feel? Here's one. I know nobody's dealt with this before. Have you ever stubbed your toe? How did it make you feel? I don't know why God, when he created us, did not make our big toe made of something else like metal or anything that cannot be damaged. He's like, I will give them a big toe, they will stub it, and it will test their flesh. <laughs> There's something that stubbing your toe does. It stirs up some emotion. How about this? This is for my students in the house. Have you ever had a moment when a paper is due the next morning, you've procrastinated until the wee hours, we're three hours away from the deadline, it's four in the morning, and you have to write an entire paper summarizing everything you've hopefully learned over the last nine months. How did that make you feel? Not good. I know nobody's done this one. Have you ever been in a heated argument? Oh, Wow. You guys must be saved for a long time. Well, I've only been saved six years, and I still have heated arguments. Right? These are things that we grow in. But I ask you all these things, and I ask you how it makes you feel. Because everyone in the room, in some way, shape, or form, deals with a couple emotions that I would like to talk to you about today. So what exactly are these emotions? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it calmness? Probably not. Well, I don't know. Some of you were very quiet when I said arguments, so there must be joy in every argument. 
And if I can receive that impartation right now, I'm here. I'll be down here after the gathering. Just come lay hands on me. Many people in these situations deal with emotions that I struggled with for many years. Many, many years. These are anger and anxiety. Anger and anxiety. We are currently in a sermon series called You Asked For It. And when I went through the list of all the things you asked for, I noticed so many requests in the area of anger and anxiety and honestly, just overall emotional health. And before we get started, I want to remind you of a wonderful event that we're doing next week. It's going to be on June 3rd and 4th. We're having an emotional health seminar with Pastor Bob McGregor. This is actually your last chance to sign up this weekend. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've had to go to counseling before. Who's had to go to counseling? Come on, right? Some of us have, right? And it costs a lot of money. You wouldn't expect it, right? Hundreds of dollars for hours of service. You can come to a whole two-day event for $11, right? From a spiritual man of God, a father of this house. So I just want to encourage you, join me. I'm going to be there. We're going to have a great time, and we're going to walk through some things in the area of emotional health. It's going to be a great benefit. For me, anger and anxiety was the root of many of my issues, and today I'd like to share my story on how the Lord helped me to overcome these giants in my life. I struggled with even saying the word overcome, because really if you think deep into what that word means, it would mean that you no longer deal with it, but how many of y'all know we're, we're in a process, right? So these are, these are tools to hopefully help us overcome these through our lives. The title of the talk today is Overcoming Anger and Anxiety. I don't know about you, but when I do studies, I like to like look into statistics and what, man, what's, what's the world saying? What is the statistics on these different things? And I also like to look into the science and I thought, man, I wonder what some things are about anger, right? So what is anger? Anger is a very powerful emotion that can stem from feelings of frustration, hurt, annoyance, or disappointment. It is a normal human emotion that can range from slightly irritation to strong rage. I can tell you I've been on both ends of that spectrum. But what is the root of anger? The root of anger is selfishness, pride, ego, envy, lack of patience, and many many more. Why can anger be such a problem? Well, I learned some cool science this week. The constant flood of stress chemicals that go with ongoing unmanaged anger can eventually cause harm to many different systems of the body. Did you know that? Anger triggers the body's fight or flight response. The adrenal glands flood the body with stress hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. The brain starts to shoot blood away from the gut towards the muscles in preparation for a physical exertion. Your heart rate increases, blood pressure, respiration increases, the body temperature rises, and the skin perspires. Ooh, I can like feel it just saying it. And I don't know if you know this, but there's actually many health problems that have been linked to unmanaged anger. Some of those are as follows. Digestion problems, insomnia, increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, skin problems, heart attack, stroke, weakened immune system. Isn't that interesting? Being angry literally takes out your immune system. 
lowered lung function, and above all else, shortened life expectancy. Anger literally kills you. It takes years off your life. And that's why I would come to you today and present that we need to overcome anger. Let's move on to anxiety. What is anxiety? Thank you. (laughs) Anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness. It might cause you to sweat, feel restless and tense, have a rapid heartbeat. It can be a normal reaction to stress. For example, you might feel anxious when faced with a difficult problem at work, before taking a test, or before making an important decision. It can help you to cope. The anxiety may give you a boost of energy or help you focus, but for people with anxiety disorders, the fear is not temporary and it can be overwhelming and some even paralyzing. Interesting fact, anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorder in the United States. The most common mental health disorder in the United States. Over 40 million people each year experience a mental or a, a, a anxiety disorder every single year 40 million people i would say that we have a problem on our hands without god's kingdom anxiety makes perfect sense but if there is a new kingdom we have rest and we can trust that this in this world that if we encounter god we encounter a faithful father Overcoming anxiety is more than just acknowledging that you don't have control. It's about cultivating a settled heart that no longer clings to control. A settled heart that no longer clings to control. Anger and anxiety damage the physical body. They hinder relationships and affect our spiritual well-being. God's presence and his word are tools for help and healing. So normally this would be the part of the sermon where I dig into the scriptures. I promise you we're going to get there. But first I would like to, I would like to share a testimony. How many of y'all know that we are overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony? Now, people in this room probably know a decent chunk of my testimony. Yes, I was a drug addict. I lived a pretty crazy life, but God radically saved me in 2016. Something that I don't actually talk about quite often is more of the things that happened when I was a childhood before I found these things called drugs. And I thought to myself, when I decided to teach this subject, wouldn't it be beautiful if I could paint some perspective to the congregation of just how evil and terrible I was before I knew Jesus? See, for me, all the way from a very young age, very young age, probably until I could run around, I was already dealing with anger. I would throw temper tantrums. For for parents in the room, you know what that looks like. Imagine that times a thousand. That was what I would do. I had this thing I was diagnosed with at a very young age called ADHD ring of fire. And what that means is that when I got mad to a certain extent, I was like a thermostat that would explode. And I would forget and black out what I'm even doing. So I would black out and say the most terrible and awful things, mostly directed to my mother. I struggled with anger issues. I'd get so mad. I'd punch holes through walls. I'd break windows. I'd destroy things, and I would hurt people. I was consumed with anger and rage and constantly filled with anxiety. What's interesting is that the anger and anxiety led to something I wouldn't expect worthlessness. 
I felt helpless. So it's interesting that they would have me preach on this weekend because this is actually one of the few weekends in the year that my mother and my grandma come to town. So interestingly enough, I preached on it last year. I preached on it this year. I thought it through a little bit. This is one of the lowest attended gatherings of the year. They must be testing me. (laughs) But I love it because I have family in town that is never here and never gets to hear the word. Not regular church attenders. And I'm believing next gathering, they're going to come to know the Lord. So I met with my mom earlier uh, this week. And I said, hey, mom. How would you feel about getting on stage and having a conversation with me? <laughs> Let's just say she was terrified. <laughs> so I said, well, hey, mom, would you be willing to sit down and film a video and just have a conversation? She said, yes. So I want to I take a couple minutes, and I want you all to just tune in as, as I have a conversation with my mom and share just a little bit of my testimony. Let's play that video. So what I wanted to talk about was, you know, one of the things that I feel like was one of the biggest things in my childhood that hurt other people and hurt myself and pretty much hurt everyone around me is just how angry I would be. And I kind of wanted you just to share a little bit about, man, what was I like like a child? What was I like growing up? You know, what were what were the things that happened in life that you know, really hurt you and, and, and traumatize you because of my anger, my aggression, and my anxiety. When I bring up me being angry as a child, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The incident when I asked you to take out the trash and you freaked out on me. <laughs> and I had to send you to juvie. So I asked you to take out the trash, which was your only duty because we couldn't get you to do anything else. And I went into your room and asked you to take out the trash and you were so mad just for me even asking you that I just waited and came back later and asked again and you got mad at me again and then when I finally came in and told you that you had to absolutely take it out you just jumped up and came at me just yelling and scared me so bad that I thought that you were gonna hurt me like you were cussing me out yelling at me I think you punched something. I think I punched a closet door. Yeah, I think he punched the closet door and it scared me so bad that I had to call the cops because I didn't know if you were gonna punch me out because I asked you to take the trash out or if you were gonna hurt somebody else or I didn't know what was gonna happen. And you were so mad about that, you were so angry Everything was my fault. You were screaming at me how horrible of a mother I was. And that was the worst incident because I actually thought you might hurt me. Other times, you were just mad. Anything we asked you. If it didn't, if it wasn't the right time to talk to you, if you didn't want to talk about it, you would just fly off the handle, just yelling at us. And And that was a normal part of my life. Normal. Like, normal. That was yeah. my normal reaction. We had to, to tiptoe it. around you because if we said the wrong thing, we knew you'd explode. It was easier to probably let you get away with stuff you shouldn't have than to deal with the anger. It was horrible <laughs> to think that you're, you got to act like that around your child. And when you'd get mad, you'd go, like, break things and, like, sabotage things. 
and I had to go to work every day and pretend like everything was normal and my son was in jail and and I didn't want to like get you out and let you just think that you could just continue to act like that but I didn't know what to do. Can you share just a little bit about what you see now compared to <laughs> what you had seen before? Okay, when, when you were little, you were this loving, little, wonderful, happy, joyous, you brought joy to everybody, you were smart, we always knew you could do anything. Now you're that person again. <laughs> you're that same person that I loved so much, love so much. Like, I don't come around you and have to tiptoe around. I can tell you're happy. You're actually happy. And you just exude happiness and joy. And it's a pleasure. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a relief that finally you're back to who you were supposed to be. Yeah because it's who I was supposed to be all along. Well, Mom, thank you for sharing with us and just sharing a little bit of our story. I know for a lot of everybody here, they don't really know who I was as a child, and it's good to be able to paint some perspective of, man, what, what God can do and how God can heal people and how God can transform our emotions and our personality. Bring you back to the man you're supposed to be. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Mama. I love my Mama. I put her through a lot. Take the garbage out. <laughs> I think back to that sometimes. Oh, why'd you go to jail for the first time? Oh, I wouldn't take the garbage out. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was actually thinking through this uh, last night, and I didn't share this, but in the state of Montana, if you strike fear in somebody with your voice... They, they literally charge you with an assault charge. So by the age of 16, I had racked up three partner family member assaults against my mother because I had scared her so bad in a rage fit that they'd thrown me in jail and, and given me a charge. And I share all that because if there was anywhere on the spectrum I was when it came to anger, when I, knew G when I came to know Jesus, I was very, very deep. And it was a lot to overcome. And it still comes out sometimes but never like it did when I was a kid. Never like it did when I was a young adult. Never like it did before I knew Jesus. Because Jesus is our strength. So how did I overcome anger and anxiety? Obviously Jesus, but it's deeper. See, Jesus does the heart change, but we must do the work Salvation is the start. Salvation is the start. Sanctification is the process. Pieces of that process are the refining of our spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being. And what's the best source for wisdom when it comes to our emotional health? Me? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. God's word. God's word has brought healing in my life in ways that I did not know existed. I had a gentleman come up to me last night, my friend Robert, that I knew way long ago in a distant, distant reality, I feel like. And he came up and he shared that he's also found Jesus and he's free from addiction for over a year. 
And he said something to me last night that just really stuck. He said, man, I didn't know these things existed. I didn't know that you could live life like this. And that is the power of the word of God. So today we're going to be focusing on one chunk of scripture, Psalms 37. If you have your Bible with you today, I'd encourage you to open up and read along. I want to give a little context before we dive in. The Psalms were written by a couple different authors, but primarily by David. This Psalm was likely written in David's old age. And I think to myself, when you're near the end of your life, we tend to look back at the life we lived. Things that we have done, things that we would have done differently, things that we did well, and the relationships that we created along the way. When I read this Psalm, I think of a man reflecting on the choices that he's made. And how many of you know that David always made good choices? <laughs> Such a great example, right? There were some that were good, there were some that were bad, and there were some that were just ugly. Our vision here at the church is to be a people after God's own heart. We get this directly out of the life of David. Why? Because he was a man, even in his mistakes, even in his wrongdoings, he always kept a heart of repentance to the Lord. How many of you, or how many think David probably wrestled with anger and anxiety? I can think of a couple instances. Well, there was this time in his life where a crazy king named Saul was pursuing him with spears. Right? I love the Old Testament. It is like so intense. <laughs> He's being pursued by this king, right, that is trying to kill him. David even is like trying to calm him down. And what does the guy do? Throw another spear. And I would think to myself, if there was someone in this audience right now with a hidden spear and I knew it and I didn't know where he was, I would be very, very anxious. I also think of another time in David's life after he's the king over Israel, a time when there is unrest in the kingdom and his enemies are coming from all sides. I would think in that moment he was probably pretty angry. Psalm 37 is a beautiful example of how David believed he could overcome anger and anxiety. And it's a great reminder of the faithfulness of God. Will you stand with me as we read the word? Love Delaney. She always preaches back. She's my number one cheerleader on youth. Psalms 37, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herbs. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. 
But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnash at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Y'all may be seated. You're welcome, Delaney. (laughs) We're going to journey through this chunk of scripture today. And I feel like God has given me eight points to help you to overcome anger and anxiety in your life. And the first point that we're going to dig into today is don't fret. Can I tell you something real quick? I am very thankful that when I started my walk with Jesus, I was at a place that would only let me read the the King James Bible. Now, why would I say that? Because it's very confusing, hard to understand, and I had to look things up. And it did something to me. It, It gave me a hunger to dig deeper. Do I still read it today? Absolutely not. (laughs) But I am thankful for a season. It's kind of like going to college for a degree. You fight through it, right? But what I love is that sometimes I see a word that I don't understand. How many of you don't understand a word sometimes? That's me quite often. Usually if Craig or Seth are preaching, they say very large words that I've never heard before. And usually they connect eyes with me knowing Logan doesn't know what this word means. So we've kind of walked into this culture where, not maybe from the stage all the time, Seth has actually done that before. But if they know I don't know a word, they just instantly tell me what it means, right? We need to know the meaning of words. And when I look in the scriptures and I see that over three times in this chunk of scripture, this, this, this word, do not fret. What is a fret? Sounds like something from a Dr. Seuss book. One fret, two fret, three fret, four. <laughs> is getting something special today. Come on. So what does it mean to not fret? Fret means to constantly or visibly be worried or anxious. We need to break off worry and anxiety. Don't let the things people say affect you. I'd like to say that again. Don't let the things that people say affect you. One of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had in my life since I found Jesus and dug into the words is I no longer allow what people say to affect me. I remind myself of what God says about me instead. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes when you're a pastor, you have to have tough conversations. And in those conversations, people think you are the bad guy. Now, from my experience, I would say probably 95% of the time, I'm the bad guy for a couple weeks, and then they come back and say, wow, you were right. (laughs) And sometimes I have to learn to take the hit of what people say. And I think each and every one of us need to learn that principle. Don't let the things that people say have such a deep effect on you. Verse 1 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herbs. Don't fret. God's got them. He's going to cut them down. Don't fret, verse 7, because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. I felt like what the Lord told me for you today is what they have is temporary, But what we have is eternal. 
Everything they have can be taken away. Persons, people can't take away anything from me. Because it's, it's, it's entrusted with my father. It's like a treasure chest named Jesus. And you can put all of your gifts within him. Where the moth cannot get to. And nothing can destroy. Do not fret, verse 8. It only causes harm. Worry and anxiety only hurt yourself. Interesting fact. I've noticed something in people. It's almost as if they think if they get more angry, it hurts or affects me. And I have come to the conclusion that most of us are psychotic. How many of y'all have been in an argument and it's like, who can be the loudest and angriest one shall win? And we think anger is this sword that we can stab another person with. But really what we're doing is we're taking a sword and stabbing ourselves. The only person that's affected by your worry, anxiety, and anger is yourself. Now there are some outward things that happen, the way that you can affect other people. But generally speaking, you are the one that is the most affected. So do not fret. My next point for you today is to delight in him. Delight in him. It says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and, ooh, I like this, feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Put your trust in the Lord instead of people. I had a pastor when I first got saved, and he said this comment to me, and I still kind of chew on it today. I was talking about my mistrust for people, and he said, Logan, where in the Bible does it tell you to trust people? I only see it say to trust God. That's kind of how he said it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But interesting fact, it doesn't. So why? Why do we focus on it? Why do we not focus on our trust being kept in the kingdom where it cannot be touched, where it is not temporal, but it is eternal? It is sat at the right hand of the Father. Our delight should be in him. I love the end of this verse where it says, feed on his faithfulness. To feed on something means to consume it and be nourished, satisfied, and sustained. You can feed on his faithfulness by allowing him to sustain you and silence your worries. Delight in him. Verse 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When we find our delight in the Lord, it cannot be taken away. Did you know that? None of you can steal my joy. I dare you to challenge me. It cannot be removed. And I might be an overly zealous type, but I think everybody can walk in that type of zeal. I actually don't like when people point that out about my character because I'm like, that's not me, that's Jesus. And you have him too. All you have to do is operate in it. We delight in him. We trust in the Lord because our God is unmovable, unshakable, and constant. He's always here. You can't get away from him. Verse 5 says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. We must commit to following his way of doing things. 
I don't know if you know this, but I had a quite awakening when I opened the scriptures and realized almost all the things I did in life were actually the opposite of what God would like me to do. And some of those were challenging to work through. But I've stayed committed to trusting in the word and knowing that if it is in the word, it is truth and it is from the Lord and it is for my good. So we must commit to following his way of doing things. When slapped with offense, slap the other person back. No. Turn the other cheek. Now, you might have a short-term success if someone hits you with the fence and you slap them back. You know, you might knock them over. They might have a bruise, whatever. But if you turn the other cheek and say, come on, what does that do to a person? What does that do? I love this. I, I, I talk to students all the time. I don't know if you know this, but, man, Christians get, Christian students really get bullied in school, unlike ever before. It's on a whole other level now. And, and I teach students about this, about, man, that, that bully that's coming at you, man, just show them love because they probably never have love at home. And why do you think they're lashing out? Because they're hurt and they're broken and they need Jesus. There's something about God's love that breaks down any wall. Any bully can be saved for the kingdom. I was a bully. Any bully can be saved for the kingdom. And it's honestly up to our students to do that. It's up to the next generation. My next point I'd like to share with you is to rest in him. Rest in him. Verse 6 says, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. We need to shine brightly for the Lord. Did you all know that? And I felt like God gave me a download this morning in this area, and I, I heard this, rest equals recharge. How do you expect to shine if your batteries are dead? Rest equals recharge. We need to know where our rest comes from. It is not attached to this world. It is eternal. It is the Father. And his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. So rest in him. Rest in him, because rest equals recharge. Next point is that we need to learn patience. Ooh, that's a hard one. There's certain words that you say from the pulpit, and you're like, it got quiet. <laughs> Rebuke. Patience. <laughs> Long-suffering. <laughs> learn patience. Verse 7 continues on to say, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently for him. Without patience, we cannot overcome anger and anxiety. Most anger and anxiety in my life was caused from lack of patience. We want everything with free two-day shipping. Right? My Amazon Prime Day is on a Tuesday. If I don't receive a package till Thursday... I am heated. And I guarantee you I'm not the only one. Let me share another one in patience. I'm to the point now where I get upset if I even have to put an object in a box to return it. And I cannot just scan a QR code and drop it off to UPS. I still don't get what they're doing with all those things. We live in a culture today where we have no patience. It is destroying our children. Destroying our children. 
Things need to be instant and constant and constant and constant. I think a cocoa melon. My kid's hooked. Why? Because it's constant changes, constant things hitting their face. We live in a culture where we don't know how to wait. 50% of Americans admit to honking their horn at people at green lights. Guilty. (laughs) I'm also just not the best driver in general, but this is an interesting one. And I I didn't think this through, but I've also done this before. 72% of Gen Zers admit to pushing an already lit elevator button. Who comes up with the idea to get statistics on these things? Hmm, what should we look up next? Let's figure out how many people between the age of 18 and 28 multiply hit the elevator button. How many of y'all are on a walk and you stop at a stoplight and you only press that button one time? Boom, wait. Boom, wait. It's literally telling you to stop hitting it. Why do you think they did that? Because they know us. What has happened to us? There's grace. Don't worry. God loves us. He probably just thinks it's really funny. I was, I was kind of going through my notes last night and making some, some edits and some changes. And my grandmother was sitting there as I was looking up these fun statistics. And she said this nugget. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun just to quote my grandma? So I said, Grandma, can you say that again? And then I typed it out. And she said, are you putting that in your sermon? I said, yes, I'll quote you later. My grandma said, hurry is an American ideal. In other places like Europe, hurry is not an issue. Hurry is not an issue. We need to learn patience. My next point, one of my favorite ones, is to cease and desist. Some of you might not know what that means. I'm maybe a little more familiar with it. (laughs) So let me enlighten you. Cease and desist is a form that you would get from the police. (laughs) It's a legally enforceable order from a court or government agency directing someone to stop engaging in a particular activity. Happy I'm past those. Verse 8 says this. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. And I looked up what the word cease means, and it means to come to an end. And desist means to drop everything. And very interestingly, uh, I looked into the original language, and it actually means to throw it away. To throw it away. We need to cease and desist from anger because I'll submit this to you that we need to choose joy because joy is eternal. We need to cease anger because anger is temporal. Choose the eternal blessings of God. Anger makes you smaller while forgiveness forces you to grow. So we need to abandon wrath, abandon payback, and revenge and turn the other cheek. Cease and desist. The next one, we need to enjoy the wait. Enjoy the wait. Verse nine says, for evildoers shall be cut off, but for those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. 
For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Trust that God has a perfect plan and enjoy the wait. Remember, we know how the story ends. And I look around at people that get so stressed out about what's going on in the world. And I'm like, why are you tripping? You have eternity. God is good. He is still in control. And no matter what gets thrown at you, it's honestly not that bad. Because you have eternity. But we get so caught up in things. Almost as if we're like, what's going to happen next? Read the end of the Bible. (laughs) We know the ending. He wins. We win. Glory to God. We need to stand on his promises. Stand on his promises. Enjoy the wait. You can't enjoy the wait until you learn patience. I think some of us should cancel memberships that have two-day shipping and just see what it's like again to get things two weeks later and pay $5 for it. Ooh, that hit, right? That hit me. We need to learn patience so that we can enjoy the wait until we are in eternity with our Father. My next point, we need to practice meekness. Practice meekness. Verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We need to be willing to put ourselves lower than others, which is to walk in humility. And if you don't believe me, ask Jesus. Jesus was God in bodily form, and even he lowered himself to wash other people's feet. And peace, peace is the fruit of meekness. If you're searching for peace, walk in humility and practice meekness. And my last point for you today is to let go of control. Let go of control. Verse 12 says, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The Lord is in control. The desire to be in control of our surroundings and circumstances is ingrained in our consciousness. This is because the more we know about our world, the safer we feel. On the other hand, the less we know, the more scared we feel. We fear if we don't know what's going on around us and outside. But the Lord is in control. You are not. The sooner we accept this, the sooner anger and anxiety leaves. The wicked think they are winning, and the Lord responds with laughter. I love our God. He's like, well, I'm really successful. I don't need God. And he just laughs. They're not winning. We are. God is. The Lord knows every possible outcome. And I remind you, we know how the story ends. So rest that he is in control. So how do we fight anger and anxiety? I believe there's, there's eight, eight steps that we can do it. Don't fret. Delight in him. Rest in him. Learn patience. Cease and desist. Enjoy the wait. 
Practice meekness and let go of control. Anger and anxiety damage the physical body. They hinder relationships and affect our spiritual well-being. God's presence and word are the tools for help and healing. 